0: Welcome to Pro Se, Law 360's weekly podcast. I'm your host, Amber McKinney. If you've been following the news at all this week, you've heard about the giant cyber attack that impacted organizations around the globe, ranging from FedEx to Britain's healthcare system. Today, we'll be joined by Allison Grandy, Law 360's senior privacy reporter, who walk us through what happened and the legal repercussions from the breach. We'll also be joined by Abraham Moussako to take us through the legal industry developments from the week, and stick around to the end of the show when we'll take to the high seas. As always, I'm here with my co-hosts, Alex Lawson.
1: Hey, guys.
0: And Bill Donahue. Hello, hello. So what are we going to talk about up top today, guys?
2: I'm going to talk about the heat. It's it is a very hot New York, York City. It's uh, quite, quite the day. I'm like a sadist, though. I love this crap. I it's, mean, I, you know. I like it because it feels like we're getting summer, finally. It's been a cool spring, but I mean, it's just, uh, it's sort of a, a uh, rude awakening. I'm going to go out and like, and it's like bakes my
1: bones on the side. I hate it.
0: I've already posted on Facebook after the very first hot day we had this week I said something like how many days until fall? Like I just can't <laughs> deal with this at all.
1: That that bums me out.
0: <laughs> well you know I can back end us into our first story though because this time of the year I don't want to be in the subways at all. I want to be in an Uber.
2: You want to be maybe in a driverless Uber. Who knows?
0: That may be true.
2: So it was a hectic week in what could be the biggest IP case of the year, the battle between Google and Uber over self-driving car technology. Back in February, Waymo, which is Google's self-driving car unit, filed a trade secrets lawsuit against Uber, which is also developing self-driving car technology, claiming that uh, Waymo's former star engineer, a guy named Anthony Lewandowski, took something like 14,000 confidential documents with him when he left Waymo to go found his own uh, autonomous startup called Automoto. Uh, Automoto was later purchased by Uber mm. and Google claims that the company is using uh, their trade secrets to develop and sort of catch up to to what Waymo was doing.
0: So we're basically in the middle of a suit that's essentially the driverless car wars starting.
2: Right. Uh, uh, you know, an industry that it's while still nascent uh, is expected to grow into a $78 billion a year industry in 20 years so it's you know who can position themselves sort of at the top here uh, in the early days of it you know that's why people are really closely watching this case
0: so So now that we know what they're suing about can you just tell us the, the latest developments this week.
2: Sure. Well, I mentioned at the top that that it was a busy week in this, and it really was. There, um, first off, the judge, Judge William Alsup. Uh, you may recognize the name. He's a very tech savvy, sort of Silicon Valley yeah. uh, federal judge. He handled the Google Oracle copyright case last year, which uh, involved eight billion dollars. So the guy has handled sort of high stakes, not exactly a light intellectual property stuff before. He's very he understands the technology. He granted a partial injunction in the case, He, um, which both sides are sort of spinning as a win for them. So it's sort of an interesting situation. What he said was Lewandowski, the engineer, the Waymo engineer, can't work on the project at Uber. He can't be involved. They have to file all these sort of disclosures about where the documents went. They need to return stuff. They need to do all the stuff that a preliminary injunction does. But, and it's a big but, they didn't go anywhere near as far as Waymo would have wanted. Waymo what Waymo wanted was for him to essentially shut down Uber's entire self-driving car mm-hmm. program that that you can't go test them anymore which they're already doing on the roads and yeah. uh that, that would have really sort of shut them down. So from, you know, both sides have spun it as have spun it as a win.
1: Well, yeah, and I'm not surprised to hear that, yeah. but like can you break it down for me in terms of like where the fault lines lie in sure. terms of like what what they perceive to be good and bad. Sure.
2: Well, I mean, I think the question is how you view the case, right? If you view the case just discreetly the case, it was a win for Waymo. I mean, the judge said you're probably going to prevail on some of your claims. Uh, We're blocking Uber from doing the thing that you say you brought the lawsuit over. You know, these documents being used in Uber's program or stopping Lewandowski from working on the project. So within the sort of narrow confines of the case, if, if that's your perspective, it was a win for for Waymo. But if you view this, as a lot of people do, as sort of this battle between the, this sort of strategic battle between the two companies that are vying to be the market leader in, as I mentioned,
1: yeah, like whatever this I was
2: saying. nascent, yeah. very, very, very important, young industry, then it really, it, it sort of was a win for Uber, because the outcome that Waymo wanted would have essentially knocked them out of the game for, yeah. for two years. So from that perspective, it, it was a win for Uber to avoid that outcome, because it really would have, it, it would have removed them from from this game that car makers, that Silicon Valley companies are all pumping money It's the next to. smartphone wars. Right, I mean, it's the next internet, it's the next smartphone, yeah. it's, it's the next game... So people believe it's the next sort of game-changing technology, particularly for Uber, because it, Uber's business model right. is built around driving, you know, that they'll be able to remove all those all those drivers. It's not just a better car, it's a, it's a whole change to the way that they would operate as a company.
0: So Uber's still in the game here, but they had another setback this week.
2: Yeah, yeah. So that was sort of a, a mixed bag. They had another development that was very, very bad for Uber. Uh, the judge issued a very unusual, he took a very unusual step of, without prompting, you know, neither party asked, he recommended the case to the US Attorney's Office for potential criminal prosecution. So, <laughs> wow. yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, I mean, that reaction is sort of what people <laughs> yeah. who were watching the case had, where they're like, what, he did what? And that's
0: what? super unusual, right?
2: It's incredibly unusual. So, you can bring criminal trade secrets theft Charges the sure. DOJ can do it, but there's only been a hundred or so since the law, the Economic Espionage Act, was written in 1996. Mm-hmm. Um, they're usually brought against foreign nationals who steal, yeah. you know, defense technology. Or, or I
1: run into this on the trade beat, right? Time exactly. To time, yeah. So
2: it's and and um, you know, a party can elect if you are Lockheed Martin and and you know uh, a Russian national has stolen your technology, you can go to the DOJ and ask for this, but. That's you going to the DOJ and recommending criminal charges. Yeah, it's not the judge viewing, uh, you know, a dispute between two U.S. technology companies, sort of doing it on his own. So yeah. it's a very, very unusual situation that really, you know, no one's really sure what what's going to happen next. What people are sure about is that it's the latest in sort of a bad string I- of. Of of legal breaks yes, for, yes, for so Uber, you
1: you started by saying this is bad for Uber. I was like, well, put a dollar in the jar then, because right. Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, we even talked about this on our own podcast. <laughs> we, we did talked about Uber before and some of their other problems this year.
2: Yeah, I mean, they're facing a slew of class action cases. They're facing the big sexual harassment case that Eric Holder is looking into internally in the company. They're facing uh, a potential potential criminal charges over their gray ball program, yeah. which was a, a technology used to to avoid sting operations. So, it's it, it's the latest in a in A pretty bad run for for Uber.
0: Thanks for bringing that to us, Bill. It gets everybody up to speed on this new IP war.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So next up, we're going to talk about another thing that we've discussed on the podcast before, which is big law firms facing gender bias allegations. Alex, tell us about the latest.
1: Yes, our friends at uh, Proskauer Rose joined a rather ignominious fraternity uh, right. last week when they were hit with a 50 million dollar gender bias suit from one of its from one of the female partners in its DC office and uh, there was actually a development, uh, it, it was filed last Friday, mm-hmm. but uh, Vin Guerreri, who was on this very show talking about this issue a couple weeks ago, uh, informed me that uh, the suit was filed anonymously, mm-hmm. um, by again, by one of the female partners, and just today, the judge in D.C. federal court uh, ruled that she can continue to pursue the case anonymously, that was, uh, and that was something of a surprise.
0: So we did have Vin on before. Can we just remind our listeners about sort of the stage we're talking about here with big law and what's going on with these gender totally. bias allegations? Yeah.
1: I mean, at this point, not to like trivialize it at all, but like these complaints are starting to sound like Mad Libs. Like it's just um, in this one, you know, like I say, it's a $50 million gender bias suit and the, the allegations fit into two general buckets where it's like. Uh, the partner says she was facing sexual harassment and like comments about her appearance and her wardrobe in the workplace. And then on a more substantive note, uh you know, there's wage discrimination, she was saying that she was paid uh, as much as 65% less than her male colleagues, she was threatened with termination when she came forward about these concerns, and she was bypassed on big cases but, and stuff like so that. So you said
2: this is something, this is becoming something of a pattern, this has happened to other firms, I mean, we've talked about it on this show.
1: We did, yeah, well, and speaking of fact patterns, like we said, we had we had Vin in here talking about uh, a lawsuit facing Chadbourne. Chadbourne and Park. Chadbourne and Park, thank you, and... In that case, there's actually the same plaintiffs' attorney is representing both plaintiffs in here. It's uh, Dave Sanford, Mm -hmm. and in the Chadbourne case, they are being represented by (laughs) Proskauer, and Proskauer has now been hit with its own gender bias suit. So, I mean, again, not to like let this is like a serious thing and all this, but like, it's it's just like folding in on itself. Chadbourne will be
2: representing Proskauer, and they're they're all gonna (laughs) yeah. I don't know. They're all gonna go skiing next winter together. Yeah. Right.
0: (laughs) I mean, there's plenty on the list other than just Chadbourne too it's, we've also had greenberg Traurig has had some Sedgwick. allegations Cedric, yeah yes. so we're now getting quite the roster
1: of yeah these. and Vin made a great uh, he had a great story that was saying basically we we may be seeing basically a critical mask here mm-hmm. uh, and that it, it's th- th- there's nothing about the Proskauer case that is especially sort of salacious in a way that differs from these other things but that it's just we're, we're getting to such a like like I say, a critical mass of this stuff happening now. That there are experts who told him, you know, that they that they think a lot of this stuff will keep uh, coming down the pipeline. Well,
0: some of it may be that women at other firms are seeing these suits filed right. and starting oh, yeah. to reevaluate whether or not they feel comfortable coming forward.
1: Yeah, and the important thing to note here too is that um, this is all happening at the senior partner level. These are senior partners. Right. That's that exactly are, what I was going to bring up. Yeah. Yeah. That are filing the suits, and the 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 consensus there seems to be, you know, these are. These are women who are, you know, very accomplished and sort yeah. of well attuned to suss out discrimination, which isn't to say, like, you know, younger attorneys couldn't or wouldn't understand. But they have attained sort of a, a, at least some status in the in the workplace. That Sure.
2: And, they, and they've been if the things that they're saying uh, are happening have been happening for years, then they've been seeing it. I mean, they've been, some of these people have been at these firms for 25 years yeah. and, and, you know, watching this kind of thing not get better if you believe their allegations.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Now that we're seeing a lot of these, are we thinking that big law is going to back down? Are they going to settle some of these at this point?
1: Well, I mean, I don't think it'll surprise anybody at this table to to know that they're digging in their heels. Although, I mean, I have to say, I mean, I obviously expected that Proskauer would sort of issue a statement, denying the allegations Mm -hmm. in the suit but it was a pretty it was a it was a pretty bombastic statement they said i mean they stopped just short of calling this person like an absolute liar they said the suit is blatantly inaccurate the complaint is quote riddled with situations that never occurred statements that were never made and accusations contradicted by the facts they claim you know she was losing business but, and, the, yeah. but
2: this is what we saw in Chadbourne I mean Chadbourne yeah. was hit with a suit like this and they very publicly fired the attorney well, yeah. Involved. yeah so it was it you know it's it, it sort of has that same vibe to it that we would rather you know punch back rather than maybe be conciliatory
1: Yeah.
0: well I'm sure they don't want to be the firm remembered for these kind of allegations so sure. they probably feel like they want to air it all out yeah. yeah this is going to depress me as we leave but thanks for bringing that story to us Alex It was my pleasure. A little later in the show, we'll be speaking with Alison Grandy, Law360's senior privacy reporter to discuss the legal ramifications of the WannaCry cyber attack. But up first, a look at the legal industry happenings with Abraham Musako and the Legal Industry Minute.
3: Thanks, Amber. It's been an up and down week in news for new and aspiring attorneys. California Bar announced last Friday that almost two-thirds of applicants failed to pass the February test. According to preliminary stats, only 34.5% of test takers passed. This is in line with broader drops in bar pass rates nationwide. Passing the bar may be harder, but there are more jobs for those that do. The American Bar Association revealed that new law school graduates are employed at a higher percentage than their counterparts from 2015. The ABA report found that approximately 73% of law school graduates are employed in some capacity 10 months after graduation, up 3% from the year prior. And finally, Safarth Shaw announced that it was laying off a reported 40 employees. The firm's statement said it was downsizing, quote, amid a shifting market for legal services. This has been The Week in the Legal Industry.
0: By now you've probably heard about the WannaCry cyber attack that some have said is the biggest cyber attack ever. The ransomware attack spanned about 150 countries, impacting over 200,000 computers, including Britain's health system, FedEx, and many others. The attack exploited a vulnerability in the Microsoft Windows operating system that the company had issued a patch for back in March. Given that backdrop, we've invited Allison Grandy, our senior privacy reporter, to walk us through what happened, the legal fallout that's definitely going to happen now, and what companies can do to limit their liability moving forward. Welcome, Allison.
4: Hi, Amber. Thanks for having me.
0: So, can you give us a broad overview of what this attack was and how it happened?
4: Of course. So, starting Friday afternoon, um, it began with just a report that about 16 British hospitals um, were seeing that they were being locked out of their systems, and they couldn't uh, do things like have surgeries, and they had to turn away patients. And then it quickly spread to um, companies around uh, the country, around the around the globe, finding that they were facing similar problems. Um, and so, what security researchers looked into it, and what they found was that it was a ransomware attack, which is happens when a phishing uh, email um, goes to a company or goes to an employee and they click on the link and... Did they
0: get that big screen that scares them to death? It's <laughs> yeah. like, your yes. computer's locked. Once you yeah. click
4: onto it, you, you get the big screen and it says um, it says all your files are encrypted. Uh, if you want to... Get them back. You need the decryp- decryption key, and the only way to get the decryption key is to give us a ransom of. Wow. Um, the, in this case, it was three hundred dollars to start with. Three hundred dollars within three hours. There's actually a big clock as well that oh counted gosh, down oof. for them. And there was, so, it really was like yeah. a movie. Yeah. It was yeah. like what you'd see in like a bad well, spy movie or and something.
2: It, and speaking of spies, it wasn't just any any uh, ransomware,
4: right. right? Exactly. Where they found the what the researchers saw was that it was linked to this ransomware that or this this exploit that was created by the National Security Agency. <laughs> um, that they were using as their hacking tool as part of their hacking arsenal, and Microsoft actually knew knew about it. It was an exploit in the Windows operating system, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. in the part that they use for file sharing and um, for like connecting computer, pr- connecting printers to your computer, things like that. Very common functionality in Windows and any computer. Um, and so the NSA had created this, and Microsoft found it in March and uh, issued a patch for it. You know, it told companies to go patch their systems. Yeah. And um, and and then in April, this this group called the Shadow Brokers um, had stole the exploits, these exploits from the NSA and released them. So they were out on the internet for hackers <laughs> to find. So hackers built mal- malware off of this malware code, off of um, off of this 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 exploit, this vulnerability in the Windows operating system.
1: I know we're still sort of. Like- like unpacking a lot of the damage and the extent of the attack and that, that'll all sort of play out here but right. I have a suspicion that somebody's going to get sued for this and that's of course <laughs> what we talk about here mm-hmm. so can you tell us like whether we can expect litigation and if so uh what might those claims look like from uh, from from consumers?
4: Absolutely, I think that we can see we expect uh, attorneys have told me that we can expect litigation from um, from both consumers and maybe even shareholders, depending on how the stock price of any of yeah. these companies mm-hmm. were affected. Actually, uh, cybersecurity companies have been getting a big boost in their stock prices, but um, I am not sure if that's the same for uh, companies that have been impacted. So, but, what kind of claims are going to be in those yeah, on the what consumer? Is, what side, does that yeah. suit look like mm-hmm.
2: when when someone brings it?
4: Absolutely, on the consumer side, um, it looks like that there'll be negative negligence claims. And um, the negligence claims will probably focus on the failure, um, alleged failure by companies to to patch quickly and to take so-called reasonable security steps. Um, so the, there'll be a lot of claims saying, hey, you knew about this patch since March. Why didn't you patch? Why didn't you have you know the most up-to-date operating systems running? Um,
0: so can we talk a minute about that what is a reasonable amount of time? Is there any case law on that? Is there any industry standard that says X amount of time is when you should patch things?
4: um, Most of the standards that we see from both regulators and just best practices is just kind of reasonable, um, is the standard. And there hasn't been any kind of time period placed on that. There hasn't been any um, mandates really placed on what is reasonable.
2: All right, so how, you know, you're a company that was uh, affected by this what are you going to do to defend yourself? What is the, you know, what's the, what, what are, what attorneys say that is Defend yourself in litigation,
1: not from other uh, attacks. Right, right, right.
2: I'm sorry. Yes. (laughs) To defend yourself against the, the sort of subsequent uh, legal liability here.
4: Right. Yeah. Attorneys have flagged a couple possible defenses. Um, One is to say um, is to point to a lack of a, of a concrete industry standard or concrete law um, and say, well, how are we supposed to know what's reasonable and obviously over um, 200,000 computers were, were impacted. So all these companies aren't patching. So how could patching, you know, within two months be what we were expected to do? Um, so that's one thing that they might look at. Um, another thing they might look at the NSA and uh, point to the fact that this does look like it came from the NSA, and say how are we supposed to protect <laughs> right, yeah. against if, weapons? If they're hacking military.
1: the NSA and taking mm-hmm. their uh, their their weaponized. whatever, exactly. <laughs> like, what what what, what chance yeah. do I, the NHS, have? In England? Exactly,
4: yeah. exactly. And Microsoft has also pointed kind of to the NSA in a blog post this week, saying, hey, you know, the NSA needs to do, and you know, the government in general, because there were some CIA hacking tools that um, that, yeah. that 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 separately have been compromised. So they need to do a better job. They have these very Um, potent hacking tools, and they need to do a better job of protecting it um, because it could have a huge impact as this breach shows.
0: So, we've seen previous data breaches. We've had big, splashy ones that involved Yahoo or Mm -hmm. Target, um, but those have resulted in mostly failed lawsuits on the behalf of consumers. Why is this potentially different?
4: A big difference of what we're seeing is that those previous lawsuits against Target and Home Depot and even Yahoo. Um, involved the breach of personal information, which we're not seeing quite as much here yet. This attack was more about locking people out of their systems, interrupting their business. So in those previous lawsuits, um, it was harder to show harm, um, which is um, what you need for Article 3 standing. Mm -hmm. And um, so in the previous lawsuits, you can say, hey... um, your information was stolen, but it was never misused. There's no evidence that you that anyone ever misused your credit card. There's no fraudulent charges. If right, the, were, breach, the, it's, the and, breach
2: itself is not enough. Right. You, right, right, right. Mm-hmm.
4: Absolutely. So, but in this case, um, it was it was you know more than that. It was uh, people being denied surgeries or you know not getting their packages or mm. not getting their their. Um, their their telecom service that they paid for yes mm-hmm. some
0: attorneys have even pointed out that this really was one of the first hacks that was truly like life or death yeah, because yeah. Right, there were exactly. hospital mm-hmm. patients involved yeah there's
4: right. the really life-threatening um, consequences to this so, so damages mm-hmm. are much more clear then absolutely and harm and you can kind of get through that threshold of you know did that i was harmed and i am entitled to damages
1: if we're looking beyond the scope of litigation are there other activities that we can see cropping up Uh, in the wake of this, if we're talking about regulators or, you know, security stuff, Mm -hmm. FTC. I can imagine there's all kind of, like, strands there to unpack. You want to tell us about that?
4: Absolutely. The Federal Trade Commission has been very interested in this topic. They've issued guidance and held workshops on ransomware, and they're going to be looking very closely at whether or not um, companies followed all this guidance and advice that they put out there. Again, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't mandates, it wasn't law, but it was, mm-hmm. you know, best practices that you should be following. So the FTC will probably look at that. The Securities and Exchange Commission has issued um, some some uh, uh, advisory this week saying, you know, companies need to be on alert for this. So they may also be looking at what come at what publicly traded companies have done, um, and also there are insurance risks. I mean, a lot of companies oh, yeah. look mm-hmm. for have are having cyber liability insurance now, um, and to cover to cover these kind of business interruption losses, loss uh, litigation losses. But when you sign up for that insurance, you have to say, hey, this is the risk you're insuring. I'm running the most you know up to date operating systems. I'm taking all these steps to right. protect my systems. But if it's found that they're not, then they may have trouble getting coverage.
2: Well, as I said a couple weeks ago, uh, it's a good thing that insurance companies aren't sticklers about this kind of stuff. So, <laughs> right. so um, you wrote a really interesting piece on Monday, I think it was, about the the you know the, what people can do moving forward to try to protect themselves against this kind of thing in the future. Could you sort of tell us what, you know, sort of quickly walk us through what those steps are?
4: Absolutely. So there's... Um, com- Attorneys have told me that this was, um, while it was huge in scope, it was actually a rather you know simple uh, method that the attackers used. Mm-hmm. So taking steps like, as we mentioned, patching and making sure you're running the most up to date system, Windows system is important. Taking steps like training employees um, is also very important to not click on malicious uh, emails. Backing up your systems so that if the hackers, you know, want to lock your systems. that's mm-hmm. not you don't have to pay the ransom. Right. And also collaboration is key. I mean, because, um, this was a global cyber attack and, um, because there's not a uniform, you know, standard across the world in how to protect data, and there probably never will be, given cultural differences and different approaches to data security around the world, mm-hmm. um, you know, working together to kind of figure out how to protect, you know, different ways to protect against systems and to make sure that you have the information. You know, if this started in the U.K., you know, sharing information, hey, Russia, watch out, right. you know, could help the the spread. This is what you need to be looking out for. Right.
0: So to end the segment, I'm going to ask sort of the big question, which is, is this going to happen again? Yeah,
4: you know, I've talked to a bunch of attorneys the past week and actually every single one of them have told me yes.
2: Oh, I thought they were all going to say no. <laughs> I, <was waiting> for
4: <laughs> no. A I thought this was the last one. No, I was waiting for a no, I was waiting for them to be like, "Oh, we're, we we're on warning now, you know, it's fine. We we, we know what we're doing." Um, but I, the consensus was as long as this is profitable and successful, um, hackers are going to keep trying to exploit this avenue. Um, as long as you know companies are clicking on emails, as long as they're paying the ransom because they don't have backups, then um, then it's it's an easy um, way for hackers to to make money and to kind of wreak havoc, which is what they're looking for.
2: Well, I'm gonna go uh, unplug my computer right I'm,
4: now.
0: I'm going to tell all of the people on my staff to update their system to the latest operating system. This is why make the only sure thing I set. keep.
1: This is why the only thing I keep on my computer is like my fish CDs. That's it. That's all.
0: <laughs> you're not gonna pay ransom for this? I can. I can part
1: with that. It'll I can be, part with it. You're not worried about the embarrassment of that getting out there? <laughs> I mean, this is a. I mean, I, uh, it's a calculated risk, you know, right? But yeah. <laughs> right. Anyway. All
0: right, let's go update our computers, guys. Thanks for being with us, Allison. Thanks, Allison. Thanks to all of you. We like to end our show with something a little offbeat, and it's definitely offbeat this week. Alex, what did you bring to talk about?
1: Okay, so have you. Well, you used to live in Crystal City in DC. Did you ever go to Legal did. Seafood? Of course. This is a story about illegal seafood. <laughs> nice. Okay. That was good. That landed. Cool. Uh, thanks for telling me. That's a that's a that's a sure sign of something landing. Uh, the uh, um, okay. So what's going on here is that there is a notorious lobster poacher. His name is Arnold Bengus, and he was sentenced in. This isn't even. These aren't even the jokes yet, Bill. The uh, he was sentenced in 2004 to four years in prison for poaching rock lobsters off the coast of South Africa. They pinched him. Yeah, they yeah. pinched him. Yep. And uh, here we go. He was. Like I say, he served four years in prison, and he served that term in a uh, like, cage. Yeah, you know, yeah. and uh, but more more significantly, he's also on the hook for he was also on the hook for thirty million dollars in restitution to the South African government. They're trying to claw that money back. Now he's uh, paid some of it. And uh but he's there's still about $21 million outstanding. So he's back in Manhattan federal court this week uh because the government is trying to chase down the balance throwing of his, what he owes. They're on his tail, right? They're on his buttered tail. Yeah. And um basically the dispute that is arising now is that um he claims that he has no ability to pay this money. He's like out of money. He's like uh, referring his social security checks to the mm-hmm. government to like chip away at the $21 million. But the government is still on his tail, and they're saying like no. No, you're you're doing weird stuff with your overseas hedge funds and moving money around and like, you know, evading using us. Using shell companies. One would say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know what he's using, but I think that the, the authorities would say he's being a little shellfish. Sure. Uh, sure. you know, with the with the money. Right. Um, anyway, so the the sort of newest turn of the screw here is basically just that his attorneys went into uh, went downtown in Manhattan Court and were like, look, you gotta like Ease up on my man here. He's doing.
0: They're on a fishing expedition to get that cash back. One yep.
1: would say, yep. uh, and um, yeah, that that's that's basically sort of where we're at now. They're 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 saying like this is you're you were like making an example of him in a way that's like way beyond your bounds, mm-hmm. and like you're using sort of like stale, old, disproven allegations to say like that he has the capacity to pay when he doesn't. So, um, so they want the case turned down to a low boil. <laughs> Yes, they do. Yeah. Uh, I heard. Now, this is apocryphal. This may be apocryphal, and I don't know. I heard that they used to call him the Crustacean Sensation. Uh, wow. I don't know if that's. Uh, <laughs>
2: it sounds uh, like Bengus. If I know Bengus. Yeah, Bangus. Uh, uh,
1: also, just uh, in, a, an item of note. Uh, he had two accomplices with him. One of which was his son, which is just very funny to me. It's like an odd, like family business to get into poaching rock lobsters. Lobster
0: off caper there. Yeah, huh? it's his yeah.
1: crustacean son. Oh uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, something like that. I, think. <laughs> I regret nothing about that. Anyway, uh, so yeah, so now that now that we have considered the lobster, mm-hmm. uh, I think the court will be doing the same thing. Well, we're just going to see if it makes any legal waves, uh, oh, you know, over gosh. the next couple months.
0: I feel like we've sunk enough time into this tale, so that'll do it for this week. Thanks for bringing us the lobster story, Alex.
1: It it, it really was a pleasure. I mean <laughs> that. That's not just a that's not just a platitude.
0: And Bill, all the puns. Thanks.
1: So long, guys.
0: Join us again next week for another roundup of legal developments that have us talking. We have several people to thank for today's show, including our producers, Kelly Mercano and Steven Trainer. We'd also like to thank our guest, Alison Grandy, for joining us. Music for the show this week comes from Silent Partner and Little Glassman.